0: Malachi chapter three, hear the word of God. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts.
1: Hi there. My name's Freddie, if we've not met before. Uh, before we look at that together, uh, why don't I pray? Father, we pray simply this evening that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to us through your word, and that by your Holy Spirit you would help us to listen to what you have to say. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you ever think about uh, the stuff that you were scared of when you were a kid. I was thinking about that recently, and I came up with quite a long list. Um, Here are some of the highlights. Uh, The dark, the sea, specifically when in a boat, spiders, moths. Um, Heights weren't on there, but they might go on there now. Um, It's quite a long list. But the the biggest fear I had when I was a kid, the the thing that freaked me out the most, the thing that that kept me up at night when I was maybe seven, was actually the thought of waking up to find that our house had been robbed. Totally freaked me out when I was a kid and and stopped me from getting to sleep. To think that, that a stranger had come in and had taken stuff that was ours. Not that I had much to, for, for someone to steal when I was seven, but it just totally, totally freaked me out, uh, this thought. And, and I imagine that for all of us, even still, that is, it's still not a, a comfortable thing to think about um, robbery, that, that kind of specific crime. Some of us may have experienced it ourselves. Um, in our lives, and it's such a it's such a sneaky crime, and it's so it's so personal. Um, the the robber, the thief, steals stuff that maybe means a lot to us, but yet it's so impersonal because it's probably a, a stranger that's stolen uh, the stuff. And so, when we hear of God in our reading tonight saying to His people, "You are robbing me." Well, we're supposed to think it's a pretty strong image. And we think, hold on, is that even possible? Verse 8 even asks that question for us. Will man rob God? Because the answer is kind of no, isn't it? God made everything, he owns everything, he knows everything. So it's not like someone could steal something from him without him knowing. I mean, what could you even steal from God? Well, verse 8 goes on. Will man rob God? God says, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? What could we even steal from you? And that question's at the top of the handout, as you came that you might have gotten as you came in. Can you steal from God? And I think the answer in verse eight maybe gives us more questions than answers. Really, God says to His people in in verse eight, "In your tithes and contributions, you are robbing me." What does that even mean? These words—they're they're kind of in in bible ease there are kind of words we don't really use day to day. So it's maybe hard for us to kind of feel the, the force of what uh, that passage says. See, tithes and contributions, that's describing what these people were, were giving to God. The, the animals they were giving to be sacrificed at the temple, the crops they were giving um, to thank God for how he's provided for them, And the money they would give um, so that the temple could actually run at all. It's stuff these people would would give. If you're an observer in the temple, back in those days, you would see these people giving stuff to God. Yet God says here, that stuff you are giving me, I call that robbery. Robbery. In broad daylight, as they are giving stuff to God, they are actually stealing from him. It looks like worship, but it's robbery. And the reason that it's robbery is that it is a far cry from what the Lord deserves from them. If you've been around with us at all the last few weeks and heard Jay and Adam take us through the first few chapters, of Malachi, you'll maybe know some of what was going on here when these words were written. See, the the tithes and contributions that were being offered to God in this time, well, they were absolutely rubbish. They were were an afterthought. Far from being the best that the people had, the animals that were being sacrificed were, were rotten. They were diseased. And it wasn't just what they were giving to God back then. It's, it's how they related to him, full stop. They despised what he had to say about who they should marry or, or the leaders that they should listen to. And they basically concluded that this whole trusting the God of the Bible, well, it doesn't really matter that it's 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 just a faff to eventually make no real difference. I mean, their neighbors down the road didn't trust the Lord, and and they seemed to be doing okay. It doesn't really matter, they thought. See, that attitude, that worldview, that half-hearted, throwing God a bone, Well, the Lord undeniably calls robbery here. Can you steal from God? Yes, you can steal from God. That's the first point there on the handout. We can rob God of the wholehearted devotion that he deserves. He deserves wholehearted worship. And if we keep that from him, well, we rob him of what he deserves. Malachi, I am a great king and my name will be feared among the nations. This God, the one true God who made the world, who gives us life and breath, who sent his son Jesus to rescue us, he deserves Every person ever to fear him, to give him their very best. And as we've said throughout our time in this book the last few weeks, God is speaking here to his people. It's possible for the people of God to rob him of what he deserves, to live their lives in such a way that God is not honored. And just as it was possible then, so it is now. It's possible for us here at Chalmers to rob God of the wholehearted devotion that he deserves in our lives. And this passage, it calls us to reflect and respond to that possibility. Do I fear God like he deserves? Do I try to contain him into a corner of my life? Does he have my attention as his word is opened? Or has my singing or giving or serving become half-hearted? Are we robbing God? in our lives, Malachi asks. As Christians who know that we're forgiven for our sin, we can so easily downplay sin in our lives. It's a challenge to me to think that where I don't give God the highest place in my life, areas where Jesus isn't the director of my life, I rob him of what is rightfully his. You ever find that, that sin in your life, it can quickly become a list of things that, of the same things that you confess to God every day. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But But so easily, what we think sin is can quickly become reduced to just that list. And as long as that list's not getting any longer, well, things must be okay. I know I sometimes think that. I wonder if you relate to that at all. Well, maybe we need to come before the Lord and pray, Lord Jesus, if I am robbing you in any area of my life, Please show me that. Please show me if I am doing that. Maybe this week in your times alone with Jesus, it would be good to pray that, remembering that, that when the Lord shows us our sin, he doesn't leave us in despair. And we'll see much more of that as we go uh, through this passage tonight. But you might be sitting there Maybe you aren't a Christian. And all of this talk of God being concerned for his own name might be kind of disturbing or off-putting. Even if we are Christians, it might still sound strange. But think about it. It makes sense for God to be that way. He's not like us. If he is the highest good the perfect one, the glorious and eternal one, then it's absolutely fitting that his chief concern, his controlling objective for his directing of the universe would be that he would have all the glory, all the praise, all the worship. He wouldn't be God otherwise. And so, if you aren't a Christian with us tonight, we are so glad that you're here. And we think that it is the most important thing in the world that you hear what God has to say about himself and about humanity from the Bible. And this message tonight is for you as well as, as it is for people who are already Christians. This is a great passage to be introduced to the glorious God of the Bible. Since really importantly, he's not someone that we can be neutral towards. That might be how you see it. I don't bother with God, and so he doesn't bother with me. Well, this passage doesn't afford us that. See, to live a life not taking notice of God's, not listening to what he says about Jesus, just not having anything to do with him, keeping him at arm's length, however amicably we, we do that, is to rob him of what he deserves. And, and right now, there's apparently no real consequence For that, well, God says that one day there will be consequence. That's what verse 9 is talking about. God says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. We believe as Christians that one day, the risen from the dead Jesus will return to judge the world. And based on our own record, all of us in the room should only expect curse from him. It it might look like there's no consequence right now, but there will be on that final day. But God tells us this. God tells us the danger we're in because he has more to say. Let's look at that in verse 6 for our next point. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. We've already covered the way these people were treating God in this book. They, They paid no regard to their creator, their sustainer, their rescuer. God had every right to turn his back on them. Consistently, for generations, they did not listen to a word that he said. Verse 7, From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Yet they are not consumed. They have not yet faced The consequence for their actions because God has preserved them. But why? Because He does not change. It's hard to see how those things connect with each other, I think. I, the Lord, do not change, therefore, you are not consumed. Let's take the first bit. The Lord is who he is. He will be who he will be, forever the same. And that maybe still feels pretty out there. But think about it. In life, we're so used to seeing people we've not seen for ages and then hardly recognizing that, recognizing them as the same person because they've changed so much. We're used to, to change, people changing. In stories, we expect there to be some kind of development to the main character. They're, they're different in season 10 than, they're, than they are in season 1. There's a, there's a character arc. It's not like that with God at all. He has no character arc. He has no progression, no development He is. And that is good news. Because it means that when he says of himself, I am a God most merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, it means he actually is that way for all time. He always has been. He always will be. Christian, the Lord in whom you trust does not change. He patiently preserves us and calls us back to him. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And maybe we really need to hear that After thinking about verses eight and nine. If we are robbing God, well, we can return to the one who has not changed, who preserves us in Jesus. Maybe we feel like part of our Christian lives have have changed for the worse. Maybe we feel like we were going better as Christians a few years ago, a few months ago. Well, we look to the one who has not changed and has rescued us in Jesus, our perfect priest. In him, we are not consumed because he was consumed in our place. In Malachi's day, the Lord patiently preserved these people. He is patient to an extraordinary degree. Not that justice goes out the window, not that that has been overridden somehow. Consequence will come for the one who disregards God's words, as some of these people very much did, but God has not yet brought it on them. He's preserving them for a purpose. He's patiently preserving them for a purpose. And if you're not a Christian, do you know that the reason why life today goes on as it does? Why you are alive today? You ever wonder that? Well, these words say that it is because God has preserved you that you might come to know him. That you might return to him as he called the people of Malachi's day. Look with me at verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. These people who do not have a track record of listening to what God says, who are hardly even listening to him here, they keep talking back all the way throughout this book. The Lord calls them back and promises that he will have them back, not holding their robbery against them, but writing it off in forgiveness. And it's not at all like this is a, an evenly weighted deal between these two parties, is it? Between the people in God. It is all because of God's kindness. It's all his prerogative. And so the Lord calls the robbers to return. And we've seen tonight that we are all Robbers. We all steal from God the wholehearted devotion that He deserves. But what makes a Christian, what makes someone who knows the Lord, isn't that they're not a robber, it's that they are a robber who returns. Christians aren't people who who have it all together. There are people who know how deep their problem goes and who trust in Jesus to rescue them. We're going to think about that in a few minutes as we share the Lord's Supper together, how the Lord Jesus died in our place, and on either side of him were two robbers. He took the punishment for our robbery, that we might return to the Lord and be forgiven. And if that's completely new for you tonight, we'd love to talk to you about it in more depth. The Lord calls us back to him. Will you seriously consider that if you haven't before? Christians are robbers who return but, but not as a, as a one-off. We are, we are people who keep returning. Of course, if we, if we've trusted in Jesus, we are safe in Him. That is solid. But those words in verse seven, they are still for us. We're called to keep drawing near to the throne of grace, acknowledging our sin, asking for help to turn from it. Maybe right now we just feel really far away from that. Stuff's going on in our lives where it just feels like the Lord is really far away. We're maybe deeply conscious of how far we've strayed or how long it's been since we've really approached God. And we're ashamed or guilty but do you see how personal verse 7 is? God says, return to me and I will return to you. Hear that tonight if if you need to. Do make time for that this week if, if you're conscious that it's something you've been putting off or neglecting. We said earlier that the Lord doesn't show us our sin to leave us in despair, but to bring us back to him. To see the scars on Jesus' hands and feet that tell us that because of him, we're forgiven. And how, how good is that? How good do we have it as Christians to know that grace that forgiveness. What extraordinary blessing that is to the one who returns. To know the forgiveness of God and not need to, to doubt it in any way. As a Christian, for God to be for us, for us to, to be on his side, to be able to call him Father, But do you ever find it hard to to remember that by Wednesday? It's always Wednesday. Stuff goes wrong. Life hits us. Hard stuff happens. At at lots of points in life, we rarely feel like the Lord has blessed us if we're Christians. We, We know he has, but... It maybe doesn't feel like it. Rarely does it feel like it. And sometimes you can find yourself asking your mind in those moments whether it's all really worth it. Whether listening to Jesus' words, trusting Him with our lives, even through seasons of difficulty, if it's all really worth it, if it's really where blessing is found. In life. Well, our final point. God promises the one who returns extraordinary blessing. Hear these words from God's lips. Verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Christian, with the Lord, there is blessing. And because we want to make clear what that doesn't mean, that God has not promised us health and wealth and success in this world. He hasn't promised us those things. We maybe don't think much at all about what blessing does mean, what this promise to us does mean as Christians. That God has richly blessed us It's just not monetary riches or or worldly success. He has much better things for us than that. Things that last forever. See, these verses are to leave us in no doubt about God's commitment to his people, to those who have returned to him. And there are three promises here that we'll quickly consider As we come to a close. Firstly, the Lord promises that he will provide for his people. Whatever the circumstance, will not the Lord give you what you need to keep going with him each day? If it's hard to even think about tomorrow, what's ahead, Well, what a precious promise verse 10 is. That the Lord will open the windows of heaven and meet your need. Like when the people of Israel were starving in the wilderness, so the Lord provided bread from heaven and met their need. We had that verse from Hebrews this year. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. If you are in need, we can trust in the Lord's provision. Second, the Lord promises that he will multiply a harvest. Verse 11. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field will not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. What does that mean for us? It means that the labor we undertake for the Lord in this world, the ways in which we serve God in this world that maybe feel totally fruitless now, Well, there will be a bumper crop in the end when Jesus returns. The Lord cares about our lives lived for him day by day, wherever that is, at home or work or school. And he will make them produce a vast harvest in the end. Our service for him in our lives will all be worth it when we see the new creation. And, and as we return to the Lord, as we keep returning to wholehearted devotion, confessing our sin to him, that, that pattern of life of returning, we can be sure that that, that is the way of eternal blessing. Blessing. And that's a precious promise as we start a new term here at Chammers, as we look at all that's ahead of us this year, will we have our eyes on the harvest on the final day of of people from all nations knowing Jesus, worshiping Jesus. That is the, the goal and aim that we are looking towards. And God has promised it, so it will happen. And lastly, as we close, the Lord promises a delightful future. Verse 12, then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. The one who is blessed in this world is the robber who has returned. Is the, is the one who trusts in Jesus. It may not look like it right now, but in the end, when Jesus returns, all the world will see the blessing that it is to be with Jesus, to be one of his people. A Christian has been taken from robbery to a room in the royal house, from hopelessness, to a hope that never ends. And that is possible because of what God has done through Jesus, the eternal Son who took on flesh, who we remember now as we share the Lord's Supper in a moment. But before we do that and before we sing, let's just take a moment to to reflect on what we've heard tonight from, from these verses in Malachi. It can sometimes feel like there's so much to digest after a 30-minute talk. So maybe just take one thing, maybe just one of those questions uh, on the sheet there, and just reflect on it silently in your head um, for a minute or two. Let's have quiet for a minute or two, and then I'll pray uh, before we sing. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would make us people who are wholeheartedly devoted to you. Thank you for your kindness to us as you forgive us for all the times we have have sinned against you and you abundantly bless us despite our not deserving any of it. We thank you so much. And we pray that now as we share bread and wine, you would help us to remember all that you have done for us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.